Hi Heather and fellow Wiggly Wigglers. Now, I have a complaint to make. I was listening for the first time to your podcast while shopping last week in Tesco's. Now, all the fun and the banter between you lot made me smile so much that it ended up being raucous laughter in the middle of Tesco's, which surprised a lot of the other shoppers around me and caused me much public embarrassment, especially as I was buying some cider at the time. I think it was mid-morning, so I think people actually thought that I'd hit the alcoholic beverages a little bit too early. Now the only way that you can get rid of this public embarrassment on behalf of this listener is two things. One, in future, make your podcast much less entertaining, have a lot less laughing, a lot less information and in fact make it the most bland podcast on the earth. Or the second thing, which may be more desirable, is Heather, come on my UK show called The Engaging Brand, which is all about motivation and inspiration. And explain to my listeners where you get that incredible passion from. So it's your choice. In the meantime, I'm going to find a dark room, download the next episode and laugh as much as I like away from any public embarrassment. And I may well have a tin of cider with it. So thanks a lot. I think it's the most entertaining podcast out there and speak to you soon. that was nice from Anna Farmery but she's just written me an email before we get started with this weekly podcast 49 and it says I've got a bone to pick with you I've listened to show 48 and I couldn't stop laughing at the fact you kept saying 49 this time I was at the petrol station (laughs) 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 so she didn't download it in a darkened room and listen to it on her own that's right but Phil and Richard we're here for podcast 49 on the weekly sofa we've reclaimed the sofa from Ricardo (laughs) <laughs> reunited again yeah yeah I, I missed last week tonight there we are mm. Anna Farmery dad turns out to be Horstein Farmery it seems and she produces the Engaging Brand podcast which I think we mentioned last week and I'm off to do her show later today to talk to her about stuff I have to write a legacy for myself yeah that's right mm. are you going to let us know what that legacy is or I'm not <laughs> <laughs> But it ends up with is dead. (laughs) (laughs) Appropriately enough. Mm. Um, Anyway, she she wrote to us and she said, My dad's company was Horstein Farmery. He retired back in the 80s. He made grain dryers, sprayers, I know not great for organics, pig pens, conveyor, etc. And it turns out that you used to use Anna's dad's products. I did. How can this be, Farmer Phil? Well, some years ago, when I was but a lad, I went to work on a farm in East Anglia for a year for experience and the goodness of my character building and all the rest of it. And my boss, who actually originally 20 years before that came and worked for my father as a student, so it was just desserts that he had to put up with me, bought a Holstein Farmery CDA sprayer, which at the time was completely cutting-edge technology because CDA stands for Control Droplet Applicator, and by controlling the size of the droplets you could reduce the rates drastically. And it meant that we were spraying huge areas with small amounts of water and we were using less than a fifth, probably up to a tenth of the chemical. So he was well ahead of his time with Horstein Farmery. So it may not have been for organic farming, but certainly for reducing. Absolutely. And he developed this thing 
it was quite delicate and quite complicated and at the time very expensive and I remember my boss being rather reticent about letting me loose with this thing and he sort of told me on pain of death you break this but it was a super thing and it, it did a very good job. Small world, podcast it world isn't it? It is a small world yeah. And on that note I hope listener you will go to my blog because one evening when Farmer Phil was in the office I sneaked down to my office and put up a picky of him looking strangely at a sunflower. And the picture was taken <laughs> by Mark Eccleston. You've seen it, haven't you, Rich? There's a cracking photo. Really good shot. Yeah, it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not and quite I... sure what Phil looks like in the photograph. <laughs> he looks balmy. <laughs> looks and balmy, I asked... Yeah. Well, we have had several feedbacks suggesting not... that we are quite balmy, so it's probably logical seems, to look balmy, isn't it? It seems absolutely... Right. Well, it's the record comments on Heather's blog, because we've now got 13 comments which are captions for the photo of you and the sunflower. <laughs> and the runner-up so far... That's 13 printable ones, of course. Yes, we can't mention those, the other ones. Thank you, Jenny. The runner-up so far is On the Edson, which is from Jody. But my utter favourite is from somebody at the Royal National Institute for the Blind called Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. And she's put... Phil was distressed to find that he had been surrounded by a group of man-eating triffids while having a quick pee. (laughs) (laughs) You must go to the blog and put your comment up on this. And the best one will go in a future catalogue if I can get it by Michael. Anyway, this week on Wiggly Wigglers gets taken up by Ricardo the Roving Reporter's trip to Bavaria, Hmm. which started by him phoning us up from the airport and speaking to Rach (laughs) and saying, Uh, where am I? Where is my lift to Uh, the hotel? Where is my hotel? Who am I? (laughs) (laughs) Because I hadn't got got on the old Bavarian motion. motion I I would have had a good excuse 20 hours into the trip. Well, I did just arrived at the airport, and I imagined meeting somebody else. The contact details I had were pretty blonde. Oh. So I thought, oh, OK. OK, it didn't really occur to me that uh, there might be several pretty blondes at the airport. <laughs> but I sort of imagined seeing someone stood there with a placard saying either EM Festa or, or something or with, with EM connotations, which would give me some sort of indication that that was the person I was supposed to meet. So anyway, I kind of walked through, saw all this... Blondes. Lots of blondes, lots of blondes, and, uh, and no placard, no sign or anything like that. So I thought, oh dear. So I stood there for a while and I was watching various blonde girls <laughs> milling past me. And I stood up the you didn't thought, get arrested. That guy's, why is that guy letching all these pretty blonde girls there? Oh. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a particularly unpleasant thing to do, I have to say. But of course, I didn't have Fran's number. Funny that. Fran was the one mm. that was kind of uh, organising this whole caboodle. So I rang Rach and said, mm. Rach, can you ring Fran, please, mm. and find out who it is I'm supposed to be meeting and where she is and mm. what she looks like. Mm. It turned out she just stood 20 metres away from me. Right, you know. just stop this rubbish. <laughs> utter rubbish. Yeah. It was five phone calls, by the way, listener. Was it really? I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the professional traveller, we yeah. felt. Oh, yeah. Nah. Yeah. Um, anyway, before, before we go to Richard's EM adventures... I just have to mention to you that this very morning, one of our regular customers has phoned up and cancelled their bird food order. Hmm. Very unusual this, because at this time of year, one would expect to increase one's bird food order. And so my dear colleague, Rachel, asked why. 
And it turns out that yesterday in the Times there was a piece by Valerie Elliott, countryside editor, about garden finches falling prey to this deadly virus. So now we need Richard to say the word. Trichomoniasis. Trichomoniasis. It says here, poses no threat to human health and is not connected to avian flu. But the problem is that this piece is written in good faith because it's exactly true. Mm. It does kill green finches and we had it here last year and I know when many of our customers had it too and finches get it, especially when they're sharing feeders. And so, of course, customers think, what we must do is not feed the birds. We have the same situation all the time, you know, that the media pick up on something and go, God, it's going to be chaos, everything, all our garden bird population is going to die out as a consequence of the latest new disease. But, then, of course, it's not a new disease. Like you say, it's something that's been around for many years. It just happens that this year those parasites have proliferated to such an extent that they're bumping off more greenfinches and chaffinches. Warm and wet, I think. Seems, I don't know. but yeah, it seems perfectly plausible. Anyway, the upshot is that if you don't feed your garden birds, they're more likely to get disease because they'll be less healthy. They will, absolutely. So the worst thing people could do is stop feeding. And what you do need to do is move your feeders. Here, on a regular basis, we move the feeders from place to place. And while you move them, clean them, or cleanse them, or whatever it is. It might be that we need to EM them. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but we need to clean them, move them, and carry on feeding the birds. I know you'll think I'm biased because I'm a bird food person, but I'm not. And presumably the best thing is to use a proprietary bird table type cleaning agent. Dettol on a wire brush perhaps isn't appropriate or not? Yeah, I think the art cleanse is probably the, the more appropriate. The trouble with using solutions like Dettol is that it will only work for a short period of time. It'll go in there and bump off all the bacteria that, are, that exist on the table, but it, all it does is pave the way for more harmful organisms. So it's much better to use a, a suitable cleaning material. And like Heather said about EM, if you're going to use EM, for instance, we'll talk a bit about later on, that's something that, that you can use over and over again, and it just works to exclude a lot of the harmful organisms that you might have well, in that environment. Well, one suspects that time will come when we add EM into most, if not all, of our bird foods, won't it? Yeah, yeah that looks so. to be the way we're headed. Yeah, I think you're right. Anyway, the moment that you see a dopey greenfinch or siskin or linnet, you need to move your tables and clean them. Mm-hmm. Probably best to just do it. Just do it. This isn't something to worry about, though, is it? I mean, this is something that we're we're talking about now, just to make people aware of how common diseases like this are in reality. It just happens that this disease is bumping off more birds than many other diseases. But, of course, birds suffer from all sorts of conditions. You're right, but I must say, from somebody who's seen this disease in action, it is pretty alarming when you go out and find four or five greenfinches. Dead, yeah. You know, it's not good, is it? But we, we don't want to be alarmist, do we? We don't. You know, in the same vein. Now then, moving on to EM Festa. What is EM Festa? That's what we need to know. EM Festa. Well, the, the EM Festa is an EM festival and conference that was being held in Europe, in this instance, Germany. And just for listeners who've just joined the Wiggly podcast, welcome, me dears. What is EM? EM just means effective microorganisms. EM was developed by Professor Teruya Higer in Japan in the early 90s, 1992. It's a culture of friendly, beneficial microorganisms like photosynthetic bacteria and lactic acid bacteria, fungi and yeasts. So it's a combination of organisms. But the most important thing with EM is it's the combination of organisms that are utterly symbiotic and that completely complement one another. 
festival was held at, on an island in Lake Kemsee, I think it's spelt Chemsee, really in the, in the sort of bottom corner of Germany. It was set at the foothills of the Austrian Alps. Fantastic lake, beautiful lake, lots of little fishies, which is oh. ideal for me. I was peeking in there. I, I, Did you I, attend the conference I almost, at all? I almost took my fishing rod and I thought, no, I won't take the fishing rod. And uh, I kind of wish I had because I might have had a couple of hours on Sunday night. There was some, there was some nice fish crashing in front of me as I sat on this beach with a, a bottle of blonde Bavarian beer. Was that the same blonde yeah, as the airport? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but the conference was great. What it did for me, I met loads of interesting people. There were people there from all over the world, not many from the UK. There were only about three people from the UK. The really? audience, yeah. I mean, the audience was predominantly German for obvious reasons. But there were people there from the States, from Australia, right the way across Europe. But there were many things that people were talking about. The use of EM in lots of different applications, the use of EM in farming, which Phil and I will talk about to some extent, the use of EM for treating cancer patients, the use of EM for treating golf courses, for increasing biodiversity on forest floors, for improving the decomposition of manures, all sorts of things. One, yeah. thing, one thing that wasn't talked about, we said yesterday, was the, was the use of EM in a, in a domestic sense. So for people using EM to treat their household waste, there wasn't any talk of that. Yeah, but Rich, already my mind has glazed over because it's this, you know, this moment where people claim that EM cures all known ills. You remember mm. those ointments that cowboys, you know, I've seen on the cowboys, yeah, yeah, it says, the, rub the this on yeah, anywhere, yeah. you know, it'll yeah, fix yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. And the moment you start talking about claims like cancer and, you know, the same sentence, a golf course, you know, I think you're into extraordinarily emotive and dangerous territory because it doesn't feel right to me. Um, it's not the cure for all ails, but what it does is absolutely astonishing. I, I interviewed a doctor who we'll hear about, Dr. Sami. She operates in Pakistan. She was educated in England. She told me she was educated in England because I was trying to get an interview with her. And all these people were piling up there after this amazingly inspirational talk she gave. Uh, a bit rude, actually, they were, because I was there first. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but as an Englishman, I thought, Roving oh, well, I'll just, I'll just, I can always rely I'll just on let you. Them, <laughs> I just let them filter through. And uh, anyway, I, I, when I started to talk to her, this, this German, who was also a surgeon, came up and he said, you should slow down when you're talking because you're talking too fast and we can't understand you. And she turned around to me and said, I can understand you perfectly because I was educated in England. So that was quite nice. And then we actually, we had a, a real rapport, but it's one of those few instances where I was completely humbled in the presence of somebody else. Um, and I, I felt quite emotional, I've got to say. And I'm not, you know, I'm not... Completely emotional, but I, I, I really did. I did feel something. There was a, a real connection there, and she had used EM in conjunction with all the traditional treatments like radiotherapy and chemotherapy to treat breast cancer patients. She had all these hideous images of these breast cancer patients that she treated over the years. But she'd also been providing, since 1997, providing treatment for her cancer patients with EM, so including EM in the, with those traditional treatments. And since 1997, she hadn't had one fatality with the breast cancer patients that she treated. They were surviving, but also surviving and feeling happier as a consequence of, the, of, of this treatment with EM, then it really says something. And for somebody to have experienced that, someone with good knowledge and a considered background, then it means something. It wasn't just people there saying, oh, this does this. It wasn't, you know, the mad Wild West cowboy saying, this tonic is going to cure everything that you guys have got. It really was something special. The guy, there was a guy that was talking about EM on the use, using EM on golf course greens to treat 
the various diseases that they experience on, on golf course greens. One thing he did say is that persistence was required when he was using EM. Persistence was, was required. But they, were, they got to a situation where chemicals are being banned on golf courses in many states in the US, and they have to look for alternative methods. So they had no choice in many respects. So people had turned to EM because they'd run out of choices. But what they had realised is that the use of EM in many respects was benefiting the conditions far exceeding the conditions that they'd previously experienced when they were treating with chemicals. You do go on, don't you? Mm. Because the thing is, how are you going to fit your interviews in now? I should shut up. But there's one other, one uh, other no, interview. No, 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 no. There's one other interview that I, that I wanted to talk about that Phil and I will talk about. We're not going to have time to talk to it today. But I was talking to a guy called Percy Schmeiser, who's a Canadian farmer who's farming on those vast Saskatchewan plains. And he mainly produces oilseed rape for seed. Canola. Absolutely. Top bloke, but he's been battling with Monsanto for eight years. Now, what had happened is there were some GMO crops growing adjacent to his fields, and some of his crop had been infected with this with the GMO, been contaminated, yeah, yeah. cross pollinated, which defies everything that we hear about government saying, no, we won't get cross pollination, we won't get contamination, etc., etc. Of course, you will. I mean, of it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. We all know that, really. Anybody with any sense knows that. What's happened with Monsanto is when he'd harvested his crop, they'd found that because some of his crop had been contaminated with what Monsanto were growing, because they have a... It's it's, it's a most ridiculous situation. They have the right over that crop because it's a a crop that they they are responsible for genetically engineering. So what they said, that he was stealing from them. He was stealing their crop because they had contaminated his crop. So he'd had to go through this massive court proceeding for many, many years. And in actual fact, he'd lost the case. He lost the case. In the end, it went to the Supreme Court and he didn't have to pay costs. But he's kept all the literature from his experiences, and some of which is shocking. You know, they really are bullies beyond belief. So now you want me to move on from EM to GM. Look, yeah, no. forget it, matey. We, we, won't, we, won't, we, we can't do that. But, what I want to ask it makes you, for if you would just listening. shut up, what I want to ask you is... <laughs> Fundamentally, yeah. the EM, I mean, to me, we're going off the subject. Well, we were degree, slightly, yeah. But the EM is being used fundamentally to improve the health of either the human or the chicken or the root. Is that it? Yeah, EM is being used. There are various types of EM, EM1, EMA, EMX, EM Bakashi, which we make here, etc., yeah. And there was also one of the talks that I, I mentioned earlier is people had been using Bokashi to spread on forest floors in Thailand and they'd found that it increased the biodiversity on those forest floors. Just something simple as spreading Bokashi bran on the forest floors in the northern Thai forests. So let's go to Ricardo, the roving reporter's first interview. just had an address from the mayor of the island that we're on and uh, Professor Higa was stood next to him. You've heard the Austrian horn, something a beast about 12 foot long the guy was playing then but this is a fantastic setting 
I'm gazing out across Lake Shemsey, just at the foothills of the Austrian Alps, in actual fact, and I gaze across this clear lake, fish dappling the surface, and there's a whole throng of people behind me, but I couldn't imagine a more superb setting for a conference. So uh, hopefully the, the talks that we'll listen to today will be as interesting as the scenery is inspiring. Hello, Professor Isamani. Hello. Um, I, I, wanted, I was completely inspired by your talk. It's probably, for me, it was one of the most passionate, heartfelt speeches of this seminar so far by, by a long chalk. Um, the, the material you talked about was predominantly about treating uh, patients with cancer, uh, especially breast cancer with yes, EM. That is my passion, my research, a whole long lifetime. Right. And you, where do, where do you practice? I am a surgeon by profession. I did my fellowship from London and MD from the States and then I went back home and worked as a head of department of surgery for 25 years and also principal of the medical school for six years. Now I'm doing only research for the last five years on breast cancer but I have 28 years behind me of only research on breast diseases and cancer which is very common as I said. 35% of all cancers. Right. And how did you discover EM originally? Well, I was treating a lot of breast cancer and the person who was using it was one doctor who was from the agriculture side. Right. He is a friend and he once came and said that Professor Higa from Japan was visiting and if I would like to meet him, I said certainly, it would be a pleasure. So he brought him along to my breast cancer clinic. I run a clinic there five days a week. Right. And there we get three to five new cancer patients every day. Right. And we used to get sometimes as much as seven or eight, which was a very, very high incidence. Right. And so Professor Higa mentioned, and I thought anything I would add to the treatment modalities which are used all over the world. Yeah. So I added the CMX in 97, and I found fantastic results. We were giving them from day one. And their vitality, as I showed you, their work status, their quality of life was better. They were living longer. The spread did not occur as in other women because we had control for all the groups. And after giving the standard treatment, if they developed secondaries, we gave them the CMX. And the disease became static somehow. Right. So I found it extremely useful. Quality of life was much better. It's astonishing, isn't it? I mean, it are is. you truly amazed by the, the I am way it amazed, works? and that's why today I recommend Professor Higa, who is the creator of EM technology. Again, I was showing that it's environmental, water pollution, food pollution, and all the dirt and dust around us. EM technology is used for that. Right. And also EMX for human consumption. Right. So he should be nominated for a Nobel Prize because he's the creator of all this. But nobody seems to think about it. Well, it's incredible, you know. I mean, it's certainly in England, there are so few people have heard of EM even, let alone realise the extent to which it can be used in treatment. So yes, it should be used. I would say any time it should be used. It increases the immunity of the body, the immune cells. They increase their immune modulation. And that's why I think it should be used more and more. And I'm recommending it because I have seen the results yeah. for 10 years at least. And the women are living, working normally. 
Some are engineers, some are professors in the medical schools, bankers, and in different classes of society, even housewives. Housewife is a full-time job. Right. So it's quite an undertaking for a woman who has had breast cancer. Absolutely. They are doing so well for 10 years, 15 years. So I'm really, yeah. I'm really impressed. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure to meet you. Welcome. I love your roving Ricardo report, Ricardo. <laughs> and I understand on good authority that there's actually a piece of you in the cozy. <laughs> but we can't have that this Slate week. That's going to be next week. Right. So we're going to have to make this into a double parter because I know Farmer Phil wants to come in on EM farming and I know you've got a lot to discuss on EM in agriculture. So, it's Monty's Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on slow worms. The slow worm, a legless lizard, was once thought to be a serpent and is often mistaken for a snake. Thank you, Monty. Next week is the big 5-0. We've made 50 podcasts. Excellent. Can you believe it? Amazing. And you and I haven't had the sack yet. Really? No, I'm still here. I'm still here by the skin of my teeth. It's only because I haven't got any choice. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs>